Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 187, The Nth Degree. Welcome into Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. Each week on Mission Log, we examine an episode of Star Trek, watching it for meanings and messages that can help us to the 24th century and beyond. This week, the degree. The one where Barclay lives a life of his own on the holodeck. That could actually be two episodes. Yeah, well, um, this is the other one. So... There. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and if that doesn't explain it to people, you'll explain it to people in a bit. Uh, before you do that, though, uh, you'll explain trivia. And before you do that, I'll explain how people can get in touch with us. Ah, I um, love it. It's so professional. It's weird, isn't it? How yeah. how yeah. pretend professional we can be. Uh, Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. Those are places where you can get in touch with us. And the way to get in touch with us at those places, Mission Log Pod. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, 323-522-5641 is the phone number to call, 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents and pictures and places to leave even more comments, is missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. I want you to do me a favor, though. Save your nth degree trivia, because... Uh, well, we're recording that show now, <laughs> and it'll be a while before we do trivia for nth degree again, uh, but John Champion's going to go ahead and knock that out of the park right now. All right, here we go. Trivia for the nth degree. The nth Today's episode, degree. Nth, yes. <laughs> Today's episode was written by Joe Minoski. We first talked about Joe with Legacy. He was on staff of a story editor at the time, and he continued to write and polish scripts. Now, this particular story had been kicked around for a while, and it was later developed as a way to bring back Lieutenant Barkley. Uh, they had wanted a way to bring back the character, bring back the actor, and not just do the same thing they had done before. It was directed by Rob Legato. We've mentioned before that Rob is really a special effects guy, uh, enormously talented with loads of credits. His first director job on The Next Gen was Menage a Troy, and this is his last. <laughs> he will be back to direct one episode of Deep Space Nine, and he continued to produce visual effects for The Next Gen, Deep Space Nine, and then features like The Aviator, Avatar, Hugo, which is amazing, and The Wolf of Wall Street, which is also amazing, but in a totally different way from Hugo. Today's episode references heavily Cyrano de Bergerac by Edmond Rostand, first published, performed in 1897, and based very loosely on the real Cyrano, who lived in the early to mid-17th century. The story, in case you don't know, is about a swordsman and bon vivant who is racked with self-doubt over his large nose and can't bring himself to express his love for Roxanne. He uses his own words, but a more handsome stand-in to try to woo her. So just kind of keep that in the back of your head as we talk about Barclay. We have a reference to the USS Feynman named after the world-famous physicist Richard Feynman. Look him up if you don't know much about him. And uh, in this episode, we meet Einstein. And what is Einstein working on? Well, he's got a big chalkboard and there's some real stuff in there, actually, but also a lot of in-jokes like equations that spell out the names of Japanese manga. So check that out if you're uh, a physics fan and know something about equations. We have a lot of guest stars today. Of course, we have Dwight Schultz as Lieutenant Reg Barclay. We talked extensively about him when we covered Hollow Pursuits. We have Jim Norton as Albert Einstein, not the comedian Jim Norton, but the other Jim Norton, Irish actor, started in TV and has been working all his adult life as an actor. Guest roles on L.A. Law, uh, the hilarious Father Ted, he also appears in movies from American History X to Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets to The Boy in the Striped Pajamas. And if you're into horror stories about creepy dolls that will kill you, check him out in The Boy. The Cytherian that we see is played by K.E. Cutter, born in L.A. in 1925 and has the distinction of appearing in some real classics like Guys and Dolls all the way to some really just bad B-movies like The Mole People. 
but hey, an actor's got to work. Many more credits to follow. Uh, a few highlights, including guest roles on Mayberry RFD, The Lucy Show, I Dream of Jeannie, Petticoat Junction, and just a ton of westerns. Later on, he appeared on shows like V, The X Files. Uh, he had a role in The Last Starfighter, and he will be back as a guest star on Deep Space Nine. We have two ensign, well, an ensign and a lieutenant here with small roles on the Enterprise. Paige Leong plays ensign Anaya. She had a small role in Ghostbusters 2, later appeared on China Beach, JAG, ER, and in guest roles, and appeared in the movie Argo as Pat Taylor, the wife of the Canadian ambassador. And finally, Saxon Trainer as Lieutenant Larson. She appeared on a favorite show of mine I've mentioned here before, HBO's Dream On Plus, Diagnosis Murder, Sliders, NYPD Blue, The X-Files, and more. Is it a holodeck episode? A misfit episode? A future technology episode? Yes, yes, and yes. Prologue. We open with a scene from Cyrano de Bergerac. Dr. Beverly, I'm embarrassed to admit I'm a dancer crusher, is tearing up the stage as Roxanne while Lieutenant Broccoli, I mean Barclay, sorry, is fumbling his way through the role of Cyrano. It's not great. But you know what? The crew of the Enterprise are there cheering him on. It's a big step for Reg. He has come out of his shell by taking some acting lessons and Deanna Troy congratulates him for acting in the real world, not just hiding in the holodeck. Cool? Let's talk about space stuff now. The Enterprise arrives with the Argus Array, a space telescope which stopped working a few months prior. No signs of trouble, but the reactors aren't working correctly and might overload. To make things more interesting, there is a thing floating over the Argus. Might be some kind of probe, but they can't get any information from it. Captain Picard orders a closer look, so Jody LaForge calls Lieutenant Barclay to join him in a shuttlecraft. The two get pretty close, and nothing they do seems to get any closer to solving the mystery of what the thing is. One more pass using positron emission, and it gets a little more interesting. A bright burst of light comes from the thing, and Reg Barclay, along with the shuttle computer, is knocked out cold. Act 1. In sickbay, Geordi is fine. His visor protected him from the blast. Barclay will be fine. No apparent damage from the alien probe. Dr. Crusher still has some tests to do. She'll get back to him. But on his way out, Barclay launches into a little technobabble of his own, suggesting things the doctor's technology can't do. Crusher is a little perplexed, but he insists, if not for the red alert now blaring, that he could do it for her. About that red alert, The alien probe thing is closing in on the Enterprise, and no one can even determine how it's moving, much less where it came from or what its intentions are. Considering it disabled a shuttle with an ever-increasing energy field, the Enterprise needs to get out of there. But that thing keeps following. Phases do nothing, and that energy field gets more intense. The forage gets to crossing circuit A to cross circuit B or something, but Barclay is a step ahead of him, way ahead of him. This time, the phasers are fired with way more power and nothing still. Even at warp two, the probe is hot on their tail. Then the Enterprise drops out of warp. At the last minute, Barclay takes control of an engineering computer and sends warp drive power to the shields, enough that Worf can fire a whole lot of photon torpedoes at this close range. And what do you know? They destroy the probe. Picard thanks Barclay, who is kind of giddy that he just single-handedly saved the Enterprise. Not exactly in character for him, judging by the reactions of everyone else in engineering. Act 2. On the way to a briefing, Riker tells Barclay that whatever he did back there was awesome. Barclay is like, oh yeah, I just uh, teched the tech and then teched it some more, so you know, tech stuff. Riker is as confused as before, but impressed. The mission now is to get back to the Argus telescope and fix whatever went wrong there. At the briefing, LaForge explains it'll take about three weeks to fix each reactor since there is a damaged computer core. And then who should chime in but a kind of smug Barclay who says he has a plan to fix all 18 reactors on the array by reprogramming the computer. The job would take about seven weeks according to data, but Barclay says he'll have it done in a couple of days. 
Now even Deanna, Barclay's number one fan, is getting a little weirded out. Cut to Dr. Crusher's acting workshop. Barclay is still working on Cyrano, but wow, he has nailed it. It is emotional, powerful, and even Beverly is moved. When Deanna catches up with him and intend forward, Barclay is reading, sipping tea. She gives him all the praise he deserves, and she notes that he's changed. And boy, does he know. He's confident. He's smarter. He even starts to lay it on pretty thick, inviting the counselor to take a walk in the Arboretum with him. And maybe she'll take him up on that offer another time. Next day in engineering, Barclay is not to be found at work. He's back in the holodeck, but this time, instead of escaping into creepy fantasies, he's having a physics discussion with Albert Einstein. It's the usual stuff. Reg is schooling Albert on the finer points of his equation, you know, changing the very fundamental understanding of space, time, the universe. Majority walks in on them, chastising Barclay for being late to work. The conversation turns to the change. He has changed. Ever since that probe knocked him out, Barclay just says it's who he really is, only more confident. And plus, why bother asking why? Dr. Crusher gives him a look. Something remarkable has happened to Lieutenant Barclay. Synaptic activity is way up. His brain hemispheres are connecting in ways human brains don't. He's not just unimaginably smarter. He's more creative, more imaginative, way better, way more advanced than any other human. Act three. So is Barclay a threat or not? That's the question the senior staff want to answer. He knows more, can do more than anyone else. So should he be confined? Well, he hasn't actually done anything that would indicate he's a threat other than hitting on Deanna, but even then, it was smooth, not creepy. It is decided to let him be. Then a call comes from engineering. Something is wrong with one of those reactors on the Argus, and it may overload. Nothing they seem to be doing from the Enterprise remotely seems to work, and their computers are just too slow. But Barclay has a radical idea. He steps away from engineering and into the holodeck. There, something remarkable happens. He builds his own command center, linked to the Enterprise computer through a neural interface. While Picard is giving the order to run away from the Argus at warp 2, those commands can't be carried out. But in a moment, the Argus reactor shut down with no explanation. When Picard inquires how, Barclay replies, speaking for the voice of the Enterprise computer, Barclay himself, linked directly to the Enterprise, is the computer. And he's now completely in control. Act 4. So, Barclay's got a whole new thing going on. Command chair, Tron lights, lasers pointed at his head. Oh, and he doesn't need to speak anymore with his mouth. Whatever he thinks will be broadcast as the ship's computer. He explains that the computer was too slow to save the Argus, but his brain, now merged with the computer, was fast enough. He's in no hurry to step down, and any attempt to sever that tie would result in his death. In a private meeting, the audio-video pickup had been disabled. The senior staff hatch a plan. Not to hurt Barclay, but to reroute control back to the bridge just long enough so they can get to a starbase. With Geordi in a Jeffrey's tube, the Barclay computer strikes up a conversation with his friend. He is now something else. He sees beyond the limits of his physical body and into the very secrets of the universe. He thinks everything that has happened is a gift, and he's just waiting to share it with everyone else. How will he do that? Well, Barclay is now thinking beyond warp. He has an all-new way to get from point A to point Z, and he'll be taking the Enterprise on a ride for some new exploration. From the bridge, things are getting weird. A subspace distortion manifests itself outside the ship. It is indeed Barclay's doing, and he won't cooperate with Picard's order to stop. Geordi is not yet done with his tech solution, and that distortion is getting larger. Deanna offers to talk to Barclay in the holodeck, but even she can't get through to him. She explains that people do respect his new abilities, but he needs to follow orders. He just keeps saying, trust me. In the Jeffreys tube, the red alert klaxon goes off and Picard wants an answer. Geordi says he's ready, but the Barclay computer chimes in. He's too late. 
Control from the bridge is blocked, and the Enterprise is pulled through the subspace distortion. Act 5. With the Enterprise careening out of control, Worf and his security team attempt to stop Barkley physically, but that's no use either. He just creates force fields to block their every move. Meanwhile, it's like life in the wormhole again for the Enterprise as everything stretches out of proportion with wild acceleration. In a flash, it's all over and... Huh. What do you know? Clouds? Planets? We're in the middle of the galaxy, which is totally not Shakari, Except for the giant, glowing, disembodied head now floating on the bridge. It speaks a little strangely, just naming off what it sees bipedal beings, a hierarchical command structure, etc. It makes little sense until Barclay shows up on the bridge. He's no longer connected to the computer, thanks to the Cytherians, uh, of which the big giant head is one. They sent that probe to reprogram computers in order to reach them. It didn't work on the Argus. It didn't work on the shuttle. But it did work on Barclay's brain. Now that they've all met and the mission is accomplished... The Cytherians return Barclay to his normal state. The Cytherians are just like us, explorers. Only they want to bring the universe to them, hence the experiment with Barclay. So, no harm, no foul, right? The Enterprise sticks around in this totally unexplored area at the center of the galaxy that is definitely not Shakari for about ten days. It was a cultural exchange, and the Enterprise returns with reams of knowledge about the Cytherians, and they were good enough to send our crew back where they came from. As for Lieutenant Barclay, he's back to his old self, just hanging out in Ten Ford, and he tells Deanna and Jordy that he remembers everything, just not how it all happened. He feels like a smaller part of the universe now, but Deanna reassures him that exceeding your own expectations can have long-lasting effect. Perhaps it does. Instead of going back to work, Deanna invites Barclay for that walk in the Arboretum. Before they leave, though, Barclay spots a 3D chess game in progress and nudges one piece to the side. Checkmate in nine moves, which surprises even him since he doesn't know how to play chess. The end. So, center of the galaxy. Mm-hmm. I wondered, you know, should we stop by Megas 2? No. No, 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 no. Oh, no. I'm glad I you love mentioned Megas 2. Yeah. I love Megas 2 as well. And, you know, should yeah. we go to Shakari? Oh, alien pretending to be a god? No crazy yeah not gonna happen it's very strange Love. to me we we keep because remember how it used to be difficult to get to the center of the galaxy right yeah <laughs> used to be used to take time and the ship would almost explode and then you know now it's just like oh look here we are again again <laughs> or <laughs> still maybe depending on how you know wibbly wobbly timey wimey it gets another giant disembodied head okay yeah. yeah i used to have one of those pins by the way you know the thing he has on his forehead Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I got it at Spencer Gifts when I was in high school. I thought it was the coolest thing I owned, honestly. Where where would the next generation be without Spencer Gifts? <laughs> it seems like. Um, I got a question. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about the date between Deanna and Red to the end of the show? Or is this actually big enough that we should talk about it later? Maybe we should talk about it later. You think so? Yeah. Right, cool. Uh, because I, I want to mull that over. All right, good. I'm up for it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, some things in this episode. Uh, I love that the polite clap is still alive and well in the 24th century. Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, maybe they're laying it on a bit thick, but in all seriousness, it was an, an interesting way to see an actual breakthrough for Barkley and good for him. Yeah. Uh, it takes some strength, but you know, if you realize that you're screwing up and then all your friends are just going crazy with the applause, you're like, oh, come on, how how embarrassing. Um, Dr. Crusher has an acting workshop. Yeah. Uh, and, and she wants Worf in it. Yeah. Uh, sure. Yeah, totally yeah. weird. I would think that she would, like, teach dance or first aid. Well, well she's <laughs> she's very embarrassed by the dancing, not that's, the acting. That's true. That's true, right. Yeah, the first aid thing still might be a good idea, though. I would think so. Could it's, come in handy. Yeah. As long as you're teaching yeah. classes. Speaking of theater, uh, Deanna says, this isn't fantasy, it's theater. I love that line. Love mm. it. Love it. Love it. Love it just in the context of being on a fantasy TV show, for one thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, but, and not only is it a good reminder of what makes performing arts great, actually, it reminds me of a slogan that I think my mom got me on a T-shirt once. Uh, theater is life. Film is art. Television is furniture. <laughs> I think worth worth remembering. That's funny. 
Although there, yeah. there are kids listening to this show going, furniture. <laughs> yeah. Right. You used to be able to yeah. set things on top of televisions, kids. Believe yeah, me. Those or, were the days. Yeah. Check your yeah. grandparents' uh, photo album. Um, you mentioned the fact that, we, uh, that we're that we seeing Cyrano here. I love the use of Cyrano specifically, uh, since yes. Red will end up acting on someone else's behalf. Yeah. Um, but then also the scene where he finally confesses to Roxanne at the end, saying that his place... Um, is you know on the moon with other greats yeah. it really is just a wonderful use of that of that play yeah um and those particular scenes i, I love that because certainly they could have done i mean they could have done the insults between uh let's see uh between jordy and um <laughs> between jordy and reg or something like that they didn't overdo it but yeah. they, they really were just absolutely uh it was a great use of that uh of that play yeah Perfect place for us. Not not unlike using Henry the Fourth, you know, uh, Henry the Fifth rather. Right. Uh, so yeah, good 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 choices when you're going to insert a classic into the show. And, and speaking of that theater set, it's a redress of Ten Forward, um, and it's an actual space on the ship. We are led to believe that it that actually exists in real life on the Enterprise, which I thought was interesting there are set pieces that had to be built or replicated and there mm-hmm. are costumes and he's got a nose and all this stuff and and there's open flame which i learned twice and in, in my history of doing live theater that you just don't do is <laughs> not a good idea <laughs> on a stage set um seems like that would actually be a great use of the holodeck wouldn't it just uh, though yeah 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 because yeah. you can make it like a you know any kind of theater you want it to be mm-hmm. somebody had to bring chairs into whatever that room is Right. And as you say, build a set. Unless it's part of the whole, you know, artisan thing. Like like she's teaching people how to act. And, you know, maybe somebody actually does set design. Because, oh, back in the day, you used to have to do this. This Now we know why there's more than a thousand people on. It's like, well, we have to have a captain. (laughs) And we got to have a chef. And we got to have a doctor. And we we have a a set builder. Yeah. Where's my seamstress? You see, there's (laughs) another question that they actually did. They just replicate the costumes. Or is there somebody who's like, oh, no, no. The beadwork is by hand. Right, right for this for this little intramural class that's going on here. <laughs> right, right. Um, now moving on, I, I do love that we have a giant space telescope array. Uh, Hubble was launched in 1990, by the way, so just right before this went into production and uh, and was released. So I think that's cool timing that that's a thing that we would continue to do hundreds of years later. Very awesome. <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah. also a huge fan of our lack of redundancy. <laughs> right. 18 yeah. reactors, one computer, no redundancy. I'm wondering, mm-hmm. was that driven by a need of like, like, did the writer have to make some simple explanation? Like, oh, yeah, 18 nuclear reactors, but only one <laughs> control surface for any of them. Or was it hubris? Or, you know, was it the belief that even in the 24th century, computers would just be way too expensive to have more than one? And I know that's mm-hmm. a weird thing to think about, but this is actually, yeah. this. there's a lot of like science stuff that turns up in this episode. And and you say, well, it's a science fiction show, and I say, yeah, about fifty percent of the time. But this, there's like lots of science in this episode, actually, or lots of things to wonder about. And uh, oh yeah, I yeah. feel certain more of them will come up as we go. It's interesting, you know, like uh, think about the Hubble. So that was launched. It's not really a powered thing. It could be repositioned, but it's not like it flies all over the solar system. It stays in orbit. It could be yeah. repositioned and it takes pictures, right? The, whoever in the 24th century came up with the Argus, he was like, you know, it's not just like let's put a warp nacelle on a ship. Let's put all the warp nacelles on a ship to get it out there. It's like, you want a telescope? I'm going to give you a telescope that's got 18 nuclear reactors on it. Yeah. Somebody in the office is like, do we need that? And he's like, yes, you need 18. You know, Bob, I can't help thinking if we did 16 reactors, we'd have a second computer. No, 18. <laughs> One computer. <laughs> yeah. You and your was- computers. No, no, no. One will be mm-hmm. fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what takes pictures better than a regular space telescope? One that's got 18 reactors on it. Yeah, it's going to be some beautiful pictures. How long after that performance of Cyrano does Jordy wait before he calls Reg Barkley? Because it's funny that you have a really long prologue. I, I didn't mention that, but this is one of the longest prologues in Next Generation production. Mm-hmm. It's long. It feels like a full act. Yeah. And, but there's kind of a, just a very quick cut when you get away from the end of the play, boom, you're at the Argus reactor and you're getting into that part of the storyline. And the very next thing, Jordy is calling up Reg. And it's like, 
did uh, well okay i gotta take off the nose thanks jordy um <laughs> you know right uh, it just out of all people maybe just because jordy happened to see him in the play right before it's like who's on my mind i need somebody in the shuttle uh i can't yeah, remember everybody right. else on my staff i just saw reg right i remember his name probably it has nothing to do with it being a barclay episode no not at all yeah. Uh, I have a question, actually, about what happened to Barclay, and this, again, goes to the more science. Um, mm-hmm. They actually reprogrammed Barclay with light, mm-hmm. right? Because it was like a yeah. bright flash. And, of course, you know, we've talked about the fact, I think, that Geordi's visor does have that way, almost like transition lenses in a way of like, oh, wow, that, that light's going to be far too bright for his whatever nerve it's interacting with, his visor is. So I'm just going to you know darken that a bit so it won't crush whatever's happening inside his head, right? Yeah. But but Barkley, of course, doesn't get that because all he's got right. is eyes. Um, I read a book one time where people were being um, kind of wrecked. They were they were being kind of blanked by an electronic pattern. Hmm. I don't want to say the name of the book, and I don't want to. It's it, see because I don't want to ruin it because that okay. that comes fairly late in the book. Okay. Actually, that you all find right. out that's what's going on. Right. But I just I've always found that idea interesting that there might be something that we could see that would you know rewire us somehow. It's an interesting idea that that's what happened to Barclay as well. I, I thought you were just going to go the direction of like the um, Men in Black. Uh, no, you know, no, because that never really felt sciency to me. But yeah, that works too, I guess. Yeah. Except they really did reprogram Barclay, right? They didn't just yeah. make him forget yeah, something, yeah. and they didn't. I mean, it wasn't even like a. Well, they knocked him on the head, and inexplicably, he's smarter. It's more like, oh no, they're they're rewind, re rewriting. Excuse me, his operating system. Yeah. Right. Right. I like that Reg tells Jordy, well, I needed to consult with the computer. Mm-hmm. So he did that through Albert Einstein. And it leads credence to this idea that all holodeck interactions are interactions with the all-knowing, all-seeing enterprise computer. Yeah. You know, as we talked about, whether it's Dixon Hill or it's Minuet or whatever, that's Not actually, Minuet. Minuet's well, the only not, one who's not because of the binaries, yeah, yeah. but uh, Leah well, Brahms. They were playing it. They were, but Leah Brahms, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a way to talk to the computer and you just say, okay, but right now I want to see that computer as Leah Brahms or I want to see it as Albert Einstein or whatever. Yeah. But it, it's still this understanding that they have – what that layer of separation is. Thought that was very cool. I love this idea. Honestly, mm-hmm. as as we, I, I hate to be. I, I know, like the past four weeks, I think I've said I hate to be so of the moment. Mm-hmm. But right now, as you and I sit here and do this, there are people working on chat bots and bots that can actually sort of do. They can mimic human interaction, basically. So I can, mm-hmm. you know, order something or call something or ask for information or things like that. Kind of like. You know the artificial assistant or the or the virtual assistant that's on your you know phones and stuff. Um, when that actually gets better, though, when I can actually yeah. you know maybe with a VR headset or or something, even if it's just even if it were just like a little thing on the side, like almost like a like a video chat thing where I could you know talk to somebody fake, but actually be able to hash out ideas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that idea. It's just a, it's just a fantastic idea. And then I could finally be done with people. Right, right, right. Yes. Yeah, lucky you. Um, Now, uh, speaking of computers that have a mind of their own, it's just so worth pointing out the line that Reg has. I'm sorry, I'm afraid I can't do that. The the line from 2001, Hal 9000 says, I'm sorry, Dave, I'm afraid I can't do that. And it's so chilling and great. And I love that it's a just a very specific callback. I felt like I felt like there were actually two of those here. Um, mm-hmm. There was that one, and then there was also the one where uh, where Jordy says, "I disconnected the audio and visual pickups." Yes, right. Yeah, spoiler alert: right. it's a forty year old movie or close to forty year old movie, I think. But <laughs> right. they yeah. think that they're oh gosh, it's over forty years old. Oh my goodness, yeah. it's close yeah, it to sure fifty. Is. Yeah, that's right. Going on fifty. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Um, yeah, Dave thinks okay, he and Frank are safe because you know Hal can't hear them, but Hal's mm-hmm. reading their lips the whole time. And so, you know, Jordy does this whole thing of, you know, I've, I've, I've knocked out both its ability to hear and its ability to see. I am a little surprised to find that there are cameras everywhere because it seems like that would have been useful a time or two on yeah. the Enterprise. Like, you know, yeah, right, like, right. you know, sort of it's sort of like you always ask, well, how long does it take the turbo lift to get someplace as long as it needs to? Right. Since when are there cameras anywhere? Well, since we need Jordy to turn them off. Mm-hmm. Oh, OK. Well. Good. But yeah, that that felt like a straight up uh, tip of the hat to the Hell 9000 as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, good stuff. 
Um, there's that funny moment. We'll, we'll get back to the whole uh, Deanna and Barclay date thing, but there, there is a, a little moment that I want to hit really quickly. Mm-hmm. When they're leaving the ready room, uh, after talking about Barclay, Deanna sort of lets this idea that Barclay made a pass at her linger for Riker. Yeah. It's a good moment. It was a nice character moment. And I thought, again, this sort of drives home the idea that they're very independent of each other, <laughs> that she could just kind of do whatever she wants. And certainly Riker does whatever he wants, but they're still sort of like needling each other. I, I really, I don't know, it was played exactly right. The reactions were good. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, nice little moment to point out there. Also nice to point out that we see a 3D chessboard back. You know, kind of a, a classic trope of Star Trek. Good to see that in there. There was one. There was one particular effect that I loved in this, um, and it really brought home something in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy for me. Mm. So, so the the Enterprise sort of gets like you know bent and shaped as it's going through whatever to get to a not shockery. Right. And yeah, uh, right. I'm reminded of when they, I think it was the first time they were going to travel through hyperspace or something like that. Ford turns to Arthur and Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and says, you know, you, you don't want to be careful. Uh, because this kind of travel, it's unpleasantly like being drunk. And Arthur says, what's so unpleasant about being drunk? And Ford says, you ask a glass of water. <laughs> Just so I am clear, a computer that simultaneously keeps over 1,000 people alive, cooks for people, plots routes through the galaxy, and runs holodecks, is not as efficient as the crazy guy from the 18. Whatever. I've said repeatedly there's lots of interesting science stuff, and certainly there's lots of interesting science fiction stuff here. I found a tip of the hat to Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which I'm sure was not intentional. You found the one from 2001, which I'm sure was intentional. Totally intentional, yeah. We have a guy who actually sort of starts interfacing with a computer, and yet to me there, there are three particularly interesting things sort of about humans and humanity mm-hmm. here. And I want to ask you, uh, first of all, Going back to the date. Yeah. So Barclay, on his way to being the most advanced human being ever. Right. Asked Deanna out. And Mm -hmm. she's like, no. That just seems like it would be tempted. Mm -hmm. No, I don't think so. Mm -hmm. And then when Barclay is back to on his way to being Reg. Yeah. Let's go on a date. (laughs) Talk to me about the date. How do you feel about it? Is that a little bit like Jordy turning down eyes when um, Riker had the power of Q? Uh, wow, what? Seriously? So, I, wasn't, yeah, I uh, wasn't thinking that big, but go ahead. Yeah, so uh, when Riker was given the power of the Q and he had the opportunity to give Jordy his vision with, with biological eyes that mm-hmm. were not just using the visor – um, Jordy turned that down because he, he said, and I, I believe the line was, I, I, I don't, what, what was it? I, I don't like who I would have to thank. Right. You know, um, I wonder if Deanna is sensing that along with Reg's increased abilities, his increased intelligence, his increased creativity, et cetera, that there's something else there, which is an increasing ego and, uh, sort of an unpleasantness about being around him. She wouldn't like the guy who is under the confidence and the bravado. Hmm. See, I was going completely the opposite way on that. I, I, Which I well, I believe her that she thinks maybe it would be inappropriate, mm-hmm. you know, to date him because they, you know, had been a counselor, but or she had been his counselor. But I, that indicates to me that she actually had a real attraction to him. Like, this is not, oh, see, this probably wouldn't be appropriate, so I'm not going to do that. But then once he's back to being the puppy, yeah, tell him we're on a date. Ha ha, it'll be funny. Of course I want to spend time with you. I mean, it, it honestly, it did not feel to me that that it, it felt condescending to me. It felt placating to me in a way. It felt like I, you, yeah. you know, really aren't much of anything anymore, but I want to make you feel okay about that. So I, yeah, I'm going to give you this I, thing I that you totally I, wanted when, by the way, you were as smart as anybody had ever been ever. You found me attractive. Uh, so now, <laughs> so now I'll, I'll throw you a bone. 
Yeah, I, well, I think I'm going to come back to this theme when we do the wrap up. Okay. I, I, I hate to say that, you know, oh, we'll get to it, we'll get to it, we'll get to it. But I, I think you hit on a theme that bothered me enough to sort of shape my whole vision of this show. Really? Uh, this whole episode. Yeah. All right. I, yeah. didn't, I didn't mean um, to do that. I'm sorry. No, that, that, that's fine. <laughs> I, I think it's a good thing because you, you planted the seed for, for what will come a little later. And, and I think you, you laid the foundation for that very well. I, yeah, I, Deanna, certainly Deanna has a curiosity about him. But I think she also, that, that first reaction that we get of her mm-hmm. when she sees what's going on with Jordy, or, or Reg rather, before they're even in 10 forward, it's a kind of concern. Mm-hmm. So I, I do think that she is a bit, she's just a bit weirded out by what he's become. And maybe thinking that that, that walk through the Arboretum would be inappropriate because of their doctor-patient relationship, counselor and, you know, subject relationship. Mm-hmm. But maybe there there's a bit of it that, also is made to uh, that's played a little bit unsafe hmm. that there's something unsafe about reg at this point and she's the one who picks it up because well that's her ability you know she has to she has to be the one to see these things in him in his personality before anybody else does okay so here's my second one about people okay if we want to save the array we need barkley it's as simple as that uh, mm-hmm. says Jordy. At one point, when they're trying to decide what to do about Barclay. This is, of course, not true. Yeah. They thought it was going to take two to three weeks to fix the reactors one by one. And Barclay suggests writing a new control system for the array. And Data says, well, that would take seven weeks. And Barclay says, yeah, I can do it in two days. And now he is the only one that can do this. Because once they know that they can do it in two days instead of two months, there's simply no other possibility. Mm. Even if it means that something might happen to Barclay and ultimately to the ship. It's weird what this episode made me think of, but it reminded me of the uh, Woody Allen joke from, I think it was from Annie Hall. Mm-hmm. Guy walks into a psychiatrist's office and says to the doctor, hey, doc, my brother's crazy. He thinks he's a chicken. And mm-hmm. the doc says, why don't you turn him in? And the guy says, well, I need the eggs. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, it's okay yeah. what's going to happen with Barclay. Yeah. Uh, we're running a pretty big risk here, but we were on our way someplace, and he can fix this thing in two days. And... It might not go well, but it might. Right. It was just kind of interesting that we come to this place. There's, I don't want to, it's, it's a risk reward scenario, it seems to mm. me. And we are risking an awful lot because the reward could be huge. Now, you know, that's, that's part of what they do. I think Kirk told the uh, bones at one point, didn't he? Risk is our business or something. Yes. Yes. But this is not that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is, well, Probably that's strong enough to hold all those people. Go ahead. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> it's just kind of an interesting, uh, kind of an interesting study in, um, I don't want to say in command, uh, maybe in mm-hmm. efficacy in a way, and, mm. and what, we're willing to, uh, what we're willing to risk in its name. Now, I did have one, the third one is yeah. sort of about command. Uh, Red says he can program the Array's computer in two days, and Jordy knows that that is wrong. He just knows that that's not possible. Yeah. And he says... Sure. <laughs> and it, it's because it's obvious that, that Reg has overstepped his bounds a few times in this episode. Right. And it's sort of like when they're discussing what they're going to do about Reg. And like, well, maybe we should lock him up in his room. And Jordy's like, what? You're going to lock up a guy for being smart? Mm-hmm. Because that's all he's done at this point is be smart. Well, that and hit on Deanna. I mean, these well, are the only two things he's done, right? Yeah. So, but at the same time, Jordy feels like something bad's coming here. So he's willing to let this blowhard fail. And I got to say... This is a much better bit of management with Reg than he gave him last time. Because mm-hmm. last time he was yelling at him for every single thing he did wrong. Uh, which, right, I mean, right. and in fairness, he was doing more stuff wrong last time, worthy of being yelled at. But this time he's like, yeah, you know what, dude? Go straight over that cliff. I'll be right here. And of course, it wouldn't have, you know, wouldn't have been going over a cliff because turns out he has superhuman intelligence now. But anyway, it's it, it, none of those is like... I don't know. It just, there were three interesting sort of character moments or human moments, um, which is especially funny to me because this guy transcends, ascends, whatever you want to say, beyond humanity. And yet it brings out some really human stuff for us. 
Oh yeah, well that absolutely it brings out uh, important human elements of him, and 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 certainly how others react to him. Mm-hmm. You know, all, all those are the reactions. I think is what what's really interesting about it. Whether it's Jordy just thinking, okay, I'm going to let, I'm going to give this guy enough rope to hang himself, right? <laughs> in that moment, you know, or Picard probably rightfully so, looking at this as a potential security threat or or mission threat. Mm-hmm. Um, and man, Worf is so dismissive of him, which is it's kind of funny when they first go into that meeting um, about him. Worf is like the one like, ugh, Reg, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but then he's all ready to pull the phaser. He is absolutely ready to do that a little later. Um, so, yeah, everybody else's reaction to him is uh, kind of the interesting bit to watch. Um Let's talk about some some sciencey Star Trekky tropes here. I, I like the idea of a control center that could be created on the fly. It makes you wonder why they haven't done that more. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it was Roger Ebert when he reviewed uh, Star Trek Nemesis, which might be a movie we get to one day. Um, so he mentions that the Enterprise has an unlimited supply of energy and an unlimited resource in the holodeck. So why are things exploding on the bridge? When you've got a device that can literally beam anything from one place to another, why would you have wires? You know? <laughs> we talked about this idea before, thinking that every crew member's quarters could be a holodeck. If you were to go home to your chateau in France, or you were to go home to your penthouse in New York, that's what you walk into. But then I guess you could have an endless cycle of people going into the holodeck and creating newer and better, more powerful ways to take over the enterprise computer. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, the, I mean, the one thing I will say is we know that the enterprise actually doesn't have unlimited energy because when there is a problem, holodeck's one of the first things turned off. In fact, Jordy had to get special permission to turn the holodeck back on during right, right. Um, some, wrongs, some yeah. episode. Yeah. I can't remember the name of it. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's not unlimited, but there there's an awful lot of it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, there's an awful lot of energy, and and at that point, well, I don't. Maybe I have the battle bridge, but I could have five battle bridges. Yes. if I wanted them, and just keep going and going and going. Um, there's a good parallel in this episode to where no man has gone before. There are parallels to other episodes, which I think I'll hit on as well. But uh, I kept thinking about Gary Mitchell's transformation. Um, and I kept thinking about Reg. Well, was he like this all along underneath? As we kind of discussed, was Gary Mitchell like this all along underneath, where where he had this sort of maybe undercurrent of of this power-hungry uh, uh, aspect to his personality, or mm-hmm. was it the power that corrupted him, that cor- uh, you know, specifically Gary Mitchell, but also affected the, uh, the personality of, uh, of Reg Barclay? You know, you may have a little more lenience with Barclay because at some point you can say, well, he's under the influence of this, this alien, mm-hmm. and we don't know exactly what the alien is making him do. Kind of like when Dr. Sung pushes the button that summons Data, and Data has no idea what he's doing. But at the very end, it's interesting that Barclay says that he remembers all of it. He just doesn't remember how. Mm-hmm. So it leads me to believe that there is a part of him, a part of his personality at least, that was able to control maybe how he reacted or responded to others, even if the actions were sort of a compulsion at that point. You sort of seem to be down on the Barclay that's going on in the middle of this episode. Um, a little bit. A little bit. Okay. Not really. I, I think there are things, like I said, that are not his fault. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, but I mean, but, I, 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 fault is an interesting word to me, though, when you're talking about him as well. I yeah. think I want to say you somewhere in the recap you said something about I can't remember if it was snide or or smug. Smug. Yeah. You see, I didn't really see him as smug. Honestly, I saw him as self-assured. Maybe oh, for the first time it, ever, I did not. I did not see him as being smug with anyone. Oh, I, I feel like that one moment. So Jordy has given his presentation on what they have to do, the Argus Array. Mm-hmm. But then when Barclay pipes up, and this is the first time he's really done this, he doesn't say, excuse me, Commander, mm-hmm. I have an idea. Right. He basically says, no, 
<laughs> You're wrong. Well, he says, I disagree. But, yeah, he does. Right. He does. Which is different than, no, you're but, wrong. Uh, well, the, the, <laughs> the intention, the read behind the line yeah. as I'm watching him is, no, you're wrong. And I'm about to show you up in front of all these other people. See, I did. Uh, well, we may. I, I have a feeling that this we will come back to. Yeah. Uh, watching his yeah, watching his body language, watching his expression in that scene, I really felt like it. It wasn't just a guy who figured out how to speak up at a meeting. It, it was a guy who was ready to show off. Okay, I, I did mm. not see it as showing off. I mm. saw it as a guy who knows he's the smartest guy in the room. Yeah, I mean, and and, and but, that that tends to be treated as an awful way to act. And if you're a jerk about it, it is. Well, but, you know, being the smartest guy in the room is one thing. You know, Data is the smartest guy in the room up until now. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I, I wondered if – see, there's this thing between Picard and, and Barclay. It, it, you know, so Barclay, I do fault with the idea that he's not sharing information with Picard from the very beginning. He's going through this thing saying to Deanna, oh, trust me. Oh, this is going to be great. I'm doing this thing. And then he takes over the Enterprise. A guy who, and I love that Deanna calls him out saying that you you still are in a command structure. You're smart enough to know that this is still a ship run under a command structure. And there's a, a kind of reporting that gets done here. So I wondered, okay, is Picard being the jerk, for lack of a better word, by not allowing this experiment to happen, just, oh, okay, well, I should trust this guy because he's the smartest guy on the ship now. Mm-hmm. Or is Barclay being the jerk by not meeting him at least halfway and saying, here's what's happening? He has the resource of the entire ship's computer. Even if he's not going to broadcast everything he's doing, he could still print out the little, uh, you know, as we always said, the, the, the little printer that comes out of the wall that says, and now we'll be taking the Enterprise here. <laughs> right. And it'll only take a few minutes and uh, we may get stretched out, but we'll be fine. <laughs> right. <laughs> it'll know? be like being drunk. Um, exactly. Yes. Do you think, okay, do you think that Barclay actually knew what was happening, though? That, well, that goes back to what you were saying. I, I, I think. I mean, forgive yeah. me because I know now it sounds like I'm arguing both sides of the uh, both sides of this. I never yeah. felt like Barkley was being smug. I, I guess that's the thing. Mm-hmm. I, and 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 the only difference there, I think, is, I guess, motive. I don't think he was trying to show up. Jordy specifically, I think he was trying to say, "I know how this can work," and if, and if feathers get ruffled because of that. And that that feels like a different thing to me than I mean, go back to what happened with Barclay and Hollow Pursuits, right? He was going on to the mm-hmm. holodeck to insult people who he felt like were standing on his head. This didn't feel like yep. that to me. This just felt like, oh, I, I know the answer. I mean, and that that was that was kind of it in a way. And, and maybe yeah. maybe this is all just maybe this is splitting hairs. It just it, it interests me that you that you found him so well smug as 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 we yeah, as we yeah. kept saying. I, I guess I just reading, trying to read what the actor is bringing to it and also thinking that, well, all of these things have improved, his cognitive abilities, his creative abilities, all of this. But it also seems like ego is a big part of that. And, and ego can be a great thing because it, it can give somebody the confidence to speak up and to stand up when they need to. But it also seems like it is starting to undo Barclay. And and the biggest example of that is rather than just saying, here's what we're doing and here's why, he would rather essentially hijack the Enterprise mm-hmm. to go do this thing. When his entire life he has known that he is, well, you know, for lack of a better word, he, he he's a cog in the machine that is a starship. Mm-hmm. And not that that's a bad thing. You know, it's not just solely a bad thing that he is that, but he understands what a command structure is. <laughs> I guess. But then he also <laughs> yeah. he also outgrows it. We talked in he does. Star Trek three. Mm-hmm. That was that was that was the movie where Kirk outgrew Starfleet. Yeah. Star- Starfleet no longer worked for him. And so right. he no longer worked for Starfleet, but he still needed their ship. Barclay has outgrown this command structure in this one. I mean, in ways that are that are, you know beyond natural in ways that are you don't want to say supernatural but you know 
he's by by aliens he is being given some you know hyper intelligence and you know suddenly the command structure doesn't mean anything to him i mean he's dr manhattan at the end of uh, watchmen uh, dr manhattan i believe goes i can't remember where he went he went to mars at one point just because he had to get away from people but then later yeah. he decided he was going to go someplace and create life i mean this right. is kind of what barclay has come to at that at that point um and and so then yes sir and no sir probably don't hold the same appeal he does he doesn't need to be part of anything bigger anymore because he's 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 as big as it gets you know until they well, take so, it away from him <laughs> uh, well, so let, let's look at this a different way you mm-hmm. know it, it, it's the beginning of act three when barclay knows more about the enterprise than anyone else mm-hmm. so so what should we do what what should Picard and the rest of his staff do confine him to quarters. Well, I kept thinking, what if Picard knew more about the Enterprise than anyone else? Or Geordi? No, or Riker? no, do data. Data, sure. no, data has. Data already does. Data has proven yeah. a detriment, I mean, a huge detriment more than once. There was the mm-hmm. whole thing that happened with Brothers. And, yep. uh, and then what was the one where uh, they had to redo the, they did a do over. I can't remember. We only did it a few weeks ago, but I can't remember the name of it. Oh, oh, oh. Um, clues. Oh. Yes. That's right. I actually remembered it first. That's insane to yes. me. Clues. Yeah. Yes. I mean, in clues, I mean, he, he has proven on more than one occasion, he's proven to be, you know, his his level of understanding has proven to be detrimental, and yet they keep trusting him. Now, of course, he's yeah. proven over and over again that eventually it's going to be okay. Barclay's a totally... The only other time we've seen Barclay, he was, it was atrocious. <laughs> so maybe that's why, <laughs> you know, they have such a hard time with him, uh, with him uh, having that level of control. But that's why I'm thinking it is. I, I feel like there is something going on in his psyche that is very different than somebody else who would have experienced the same thing. If Jordy had been hit suddenly with all the knowledge of the universe and could hook himself up to the computer, he might be a little more fun than Barkley. Hmm. Just saying. All right. You know? <laughs> um, uh, there is an interesting idea posited here. Um, is becoming the person you've always wanted to be a good thing or a bad thing? Because I believe it was Barclay himself. He says, I'm just becoming the person I've always wanted to be. And Deanna reiterates this to him. And and then Barclay kind of says, well, I, I don't want to ask why. Mm-hmm. Or should I ask why? Just, I, I, I like this. There's there's a bit of him that's not reflective enough to sort of, uh, to sort of take that in. But, uh, but it is an interesting question to pose. With Barclay's great big brain back to normal size, it is time to see what we can take from the nth degree. It's the nth degree. And it's time for the part of the show where we uh, talk about the messages, morals, and meanings and try to figure out whether the whole episode holds up. Do you want to start uh, with whether the episode holds up or do you want to do messages, morals? What do you want to do first? Hmm. Let's do does it hold up. Okay. It's more to get into about the messages. Okay, groovy. Then does this episode hold up as far as you're concerned? Sure. Okay. Uh, I mean, (laughs) it's it's the nutty professor in space, so clearly. No, I I, I can't. I can't. But but you could draw parallels to a lot of other stories that that this may remind you of, but it's still very original in its own way. I thought of Charlie, starring Cliff Robertson, a great, great movie based on Flowers for Algernon, Um, but, you know, in a fun way and and a a very thoughtful way, you can draw parallels to a lot of other stories that this borrows from or it may remind you of, but it's still wholly original in its own way. Um, I thought of Star Trek episodes like Where No Man Has Gone Before, Q who uh, or where no one has gone before. If you want to bring the traveler back into the start, thought of Star Trek five, of course, with our shock, our re jokes and, and on, <laughs> on. Hey, you want to throw in lawnmower man? Cool. No. We'll throw in lawnmower man. No, <laughs> no one should ever touch lawnmower man. Don't do that. Please. <laughs> I just did. I just got my hands all over it. All right. Um, but yeah, it's an episode full of uh, very interesting ideas, whether it's the science end of it or the, the personality and character end of it. Um, it. It plays with drama and tension, and there's great acting in it. So I think everything about this holds up as a production, holds up as an episode that I would want to watch again for sure. How about you? 
Um, yeah, you mentioned uh, Flowers for Algernon. Actually, you mentioned Charlie, but um, it made me think a lot of Flowers for Algernon. Um, but it's so much worse because, I mean, what happens to Barclay, I think, is so much worse than what happens to Charlie. Charlie has a hard time when he realizes, and this is sort of like, you know, ruining 2001 A Space Odyssey. I, I have no idea how old <laughs> Flowers for Algernon is, but he, he starts off as... Um, I don't even know what the term is, but he, he's definitely developmentally challenged. Then mm-hmm. there is a surgery where he becomes, I think he ends up with like a 200 IQ or something like that. Yep. And then realizes when his IQ is at its height that he's going to lose it all again. And yeah. he does lose it. But he's really no worse off in the end because he sort of kind of remembers, but he doesn't feel it. In the way, I mean, he goes back to being the way he was before. Um, right. So does Reg, except that he remembers. He knows what he did. Charlie, at the end of Flowers for Algernon, really has very little, you know, is not very cognizant of, of who he had been. He just, you know, continues. Um, Reg, on the other hand, was the most advanced human who had ever existed. And now he's not, but he gets to remember that he was that most advanced human. And, you know, good luck ever, you know, getting over that. I mean, and, and and so it's amazing and and in a way amazingly sad, except we get, you know, oh, we get the joke at the end and he gets to go on the date with the girl. And it does. It's not nearly as tragic as it as it might be. Um, mm-hmm. But then and then there's all the other stuff that we talked about. There's all the fun science ideas that they throw in. Like, how have we seriously not made a neural interface for a computer? At yeah, that point, totally. if it's as simple as going to the holodeck and saying, no, 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 just do it. <laughs> then the computer's going to be like, well, I don't know how. Well, I'll tell you how. Just point things at my head and then read my thoughts. Oh, OK. Yeah, got it. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just so much you know, fantastic stuff. What is Barclay at that point? What is the ship at that point? Hey, where did the computer's personality go if the computer had a personality? I mean, there's just so much amazingly wonderful stuff to play with here. Um even the thing at the end where it's like, oh, it was just this the whole time. Normally, that's the kind of thing that bugs the crud out of me. But even that yeah. in this episode, it's like, that is a, that, that's a clever thing. It's an interesting thing that made me actually, I didn't bring it up because there was so much other stuff to talk about, but it made me wonder, you know, that whole thing of um, the act of observing changes the thing that's being observed, which then goes back to, um, oh, um, um, not first contact. What was the one with Ray Wise? That with the oh, Proto Vulcans. Uh, who, wa- who watches the Watchers? Who yeah. watches the Watchers? Yes, I mean it, yeah. it's sort of that whole you know that whole idea of. I mean, Barclay explains to Picard, "Hey, these guys are just like you. They're exploring, except they don't go anywhere." Okay, well then they're not really exploring. But additionally, they've wrecked your life forever now. I mean, not wrecked it, but I mean changed it anyway. Like, what if this is? Uh, uh, why am I forgetting first contact? What if this is first contact? Right. And they go, and 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 the Malkorians leave their planet, and the first thing they run into is this probe, and so it takes them across the galaxy, and not only are they not alone, but they're not even close to anything like powerful at that point. It was just kind of, yes, this episode way holds up. This this episode, there are just so many different ways that you can go, and then there are all the human elements as well. I mean, even if you're not yeah. just into like the fantasy science fiction part of it, just the just the examination of of our interactions is, is kind of amazing as well. Now, none of that says anything about message. Talk to me about those, sir. There's something that I like here that is sort of a big picture Star Trek thing where every now and then the, the show through a story will sort of reset itself in the vastness of the universe. Um, Exploring something that is truly unexplored and, for at least the people on the ship facing a problem that can't just be easily solved or easily understood. Um, because the, these are technologies, these are beings that that they can't really fully understand. And even the guy who does, at the end of it, that knowledge is taken away from him. He doesn't understand the how of any of it. And we're faced with a bad guy who, in two cases, isn't really a bad guy. Reg isn't a bad guy. The Cetherians aren't a bad guy. This is stuff that we don't understand. And it makes, then, the universe feel, or at least the galaxy in this case, feel so much bigger and much Mm -hmm. more vast than just this sort of all-consuming federation and starship that we have all the time. So I like it when this show in particular is able to do something like that. And at the end... 
when Barclay says he feels smaller, that's a good moment for him. And that's actually a pretty good thing to accept. No one thinks less of him for it. And, and, and by the way, he did, again, get away with hijacking the Enterprise, <laughs> you know, but, but nobody is punishing him for it because he, he was, uh, at least a, in some respect, totally at the mercy of the Cetherians carrying out what he was carrying out. Um, but I, I like this idea of that Star Trek galaxy getting bigger and bigger and, and sort of reminding humanity of their small place in that galaxy and in the universe at large i don't think that's a bad thing i think it's a very good and awe-inspiring and interesting thing um i do feel like and, and we got into this a little bit earlier i do feel like there's kind of a dark side to this story to this episode and it kind of colored my perception of it i still feel like it it definitely holds up and it's definitely a great episode and i would definitely watch this again mm-hmm. um so Star Trek should be applauded every time that, that the socially awkward misfit is given a chance. You know, we, we know that Red should be treated with the same respect as everyone else and that everybody on that ship has something to contribute and that should be honored and they should be held up equally. But then what happens when he is a better version of himself He's a smug know-it-all who can't interact with anyone. And in the end, he's better off being the meek, socially awkward, non-threat that he was before. You said it was condescending, or you asked if it was condescending. And, and, and yeah, I feel like in, in a way it is that Deanna is, you know, rightfully so, a little weirded out by the super version of Reg Barkley. But after he's just back to being the meek, socially awkward version of Reg Barkley, well, sure, then she can go to the Arboretum with him. Right. And everybody else can sort of deal with him better. So I, I, I feel like there's something that is – there's something that's a little um, – leaves a bad taste in my mouth mm-hmm. and not not that it ruins the episode for me but but you kind of wonder well are they undoing a bit of the message here by by having that by just saying like yeah well you know what's really best that uh that the socially awkward guy just stays socially awkward and he's sort <laughs> of not on the same playing field that we are right yeah that i mean he didn't end up like gary mitchell and that's good I mean, it's worth noting Picard did send Worf to kill Barkley. Yes. Barkley has explained that if you remove me from the computer, I will die. And Picard doesn't say, Worf, go kill Barkley. What Picard says is, Worf, go remove Mr. Barkley from the computer. And you actually see for a moment, you see that on Worf. He knows because he knows now what's been ordered. Mm-hmm. Okay, I have to do whatever I have to do, and and they all know that that's going to mean you know him dying. Now, of course, he, he's not going to die. Um, I don't know. There's no part of me that wants anybody to come along and say you're an idiot, and mm-hmm. I know better, so I'm going to do for you. I will say this though: I'll go to a doctor. Right. There are people who will just tell me stuff. And yeah, I might ask questions and I may go for a second opinion if somebody gives me a really wrong feeling. Right. But we all the time sort of there are a number of things that we sort of leave to other people. Right. Because they're smarter about those things. There's something scary about somebody being smarter about everything. But again, I, I did not get smug off of him. I got. He knows. And, and and that may feel weird, and I'm not looking for some, like, you know, somebody who just tells me that they actually know. I mean, just like, oh, no, trust me, trust me. I know I got this. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to tell you how. I'm not going to tell you why, but I got it. I mean, he kept proving, yeah, this guy's pretty smart. He, he knows what he's doing. I mean, there is, yes, there is something condescending. Young children are often frightened of the world. That doesn't mean their parents should let them stay in their cribs, right? Oh, great line. Yeah. yeah a very condescending line, certainly. Yeah, or it certainly yeah. could sound very condescending, except I couldn't help thinking about, uh, again, to the Malkorians, I will not let them stay in the Dark Ages. Yeah. That's what um, Ben Cheviot, I can't remember the actor's name, and I can't remember the character's name, and uh, yeah, First Contact, I do remember the episode name. Yes, um, I will good. not let yeah. them stay in the Dark Ages. That's pretty much what Barclay is saying as well, when it's an elected leader, and maybe that's the difference. 
Ben Cheviot was an elected leader. And so he's going to do that. Except, of course, what did he do? He backed down because other people were like, hey, hey, we're not ready for all that. And yeah. I don't know. I mean, there's something it made me very sad for him in the end. And yeah, it kind of almost felt like this is the kind of ending. Actually, well, it did on uh, on first contact. Now that I think about it, that end pretty much undid most of that episode for me. Mm-hmm. I felt like mm-hmm. the good guys lost in that episode. I think I could probably make the same argument here, except there's just so much wonderful stuff that happens in this episode. And even the laugh at the end didn't bother me so much. The laugh at the very right. end with the chest thing, it right, kind of bothered right. me a little bit. But there's a lot of really wonderful stuff that happens in this episode, enough that it sort of outweighs that. Although if you're looking for the message, and I don't think I like, I don't think I like the message that we both seem to be headed towards here. But... Yeah. I actually didn't think there was a message at all the first couple of times I watched it. It was only watching it again. It's just, I mean, it's such a great episode that this is one of the ones that I am willing to forgive the things that I don't like because there's just so much about it that I love. Yeah. I, and uh, like I said, I, I don't want anybody to think that my criticism of it takes away from my enjoyment of yeah. the episode because I, I don't think that is an intentional message at all. Oh, no. <laughs> but, but we, you know, of course not. But when we get to dumb the it end of down, it, think, kid, dumb it down and you'll be right. fine. That would be the message. Right. right which right, is right. which. No, I can't imagine that that was what anybody was thinking. Oh, this, yeah. th- no, this will be good for people. Because whether or not we agree that he's smug when he has power and intelligence or confidence and intelligence, whether or not smug is the right word, whatever. When you get to the end and we sort of realize that the only way people can deal with him is that he gets taken down a notch. Mm hmm. That that's sort of the the thing that's uneasy. Now, I do love the idea that even if it is putting a button on it at the end with the the chess game, mm-hmm. I do like the idea that that leaves a little mystery there. It leaves this possibility that maybe he has some remnant of that knowledge, and maybe he will actually become that better person on his own. Because that's what we really hope for Barclay. Certainly, and he's getting there, doing poor acting in Cyrano de Bergerac. (laughs) (laughs) I look forward to seeing his character grow over the many, many episodes to come. Oh, uh, all of them. Yeah. (laughs) No doubt. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry. You can find out much more at Roddenberry.com, where you'll find not only the Roddenberry store, but information about the very good work being done by the Roddenberry Foundation. Please check it out at Roddenberry.com. For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, check out Trek FM. That's Trek.FM. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit TrekMovie.com. Next week, Cupid. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. If Barkley opened holodeck Einstein to new ideas, has the Enterprise computer not gotten smarter? I would say that that is a win for Team Silicon. And transmission. <laughs>